saving salmon. It's been a topic a lot on this program, even though this is the farming show. And welcome back, by the way. Dylan Honkoop with you here on KGMI. I am with Save Family Farming and Whatcom Family Farmers. Why do we talk about salmon so much on a farming program? Because the two worlds overlap so much. Um, and so much of what farming does can be positive and negative for fish. And, and the farming community has uh, recognized that and wants to be more and more involved in a solution as we watch what's happening with salmon and our water. And why do these numbers continue to to decline. Uh, the farming community wants to see those numbers come back, just like so many other parts of our community are deeply invested in the issue of salmon here in the Pacific Northwest. And we know one of the things that, you know, there's been a lot of uh, you know focus on here in the farming community, and that this is something that we can do in farming is, you know, improve streams, habitat, build habitat for fish to live in and and, uh, you know, lay eggs and rear their young and send them out to the, the ocean. But is there more to the story as well? And even as we make improvements, why are these numbers continuing to decline? Do we have to work that much harder? Or is there more to the story as well? And a new study coming out that's really turning some heads about what actually might be going on with our salmon uh, declines that we see, our Chinook salmon, particularly endangered species. Um, uh, you know, a lot of this butts up against what goes on in eastern Washington as well with the dams. And, and are the dams a big problem? Do those need to go away uh, to restore salmon? Joining me right now uh, is a, a world-recognized uh, salmon and marine researcher, Dr. David Welch, uh, based out uh, in, in Victoria, right, uh, Dr. Welch? Just north of there, Dylan, in Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. We're about yep. two hours north of so you're just out across the water from us here in, in Whatcom County. You've been studying these kinds of things for a long, long time. You've published a lot of different papers, uh, been recognized around the globe, and you were working on a project, if I recall with this, uh, looking actually at something a little bit different related to salmon, and you stumbled on some in the matter in the midst of that research on something that was going on with our rivers up and down the west coast here. What what have you been finding? Yeah, well, it, as you uh, alluded to at the start, it was it was all kind of innocent. Uh, I, we were just checking into what uh, survivals were like for a wide range of hatchery stocks here in British Columbia. Uh, because we're just, you know, uh, checking on uh, some of the fine points for an entirely different research study that we were doing. Uh, and we pulled the data uh, from the government records on what survival of hatchery uh, released uh, Chinook salmon was since the year 2000. And to my astonishment, um, you know, I'd left government in about the year 2000, actually, uh, but in, and survival was bad back in the 1990s. But to my astonishment, it had continued to go down. Uh, and it was down around, uh, at that time, it was reported around a third or half a percent. Uh, now, when hatchery populations started to, or hatcheries were started or initiated in British Columbia in 1977, to put that number in perspective, uh, we were getting uh, 8 to 10% survival. 
So that meant that only one sixteenth to one twentieth of the survival that used to be there um, in 1977 was still um, occurring in the 2000s. So, so, so the and that, that's the big question with salmon, right? Where, where are they going? Why aren't they surviving? And with the numbers you're talking about, it's no wonder that these populations are declining. That's what it's showing, right? They just aren't yeah. surviving from that egg stage, from a hatchery, from wild, whatever it might be, and, and then, you know, returning to continue the cycle. That's right. And uh, we started digging into what was happening in Puget Sound. Uh, you know, the numbers are very similar for steelhead and Chinook survivals, you know, down around a half a percent to one percent. Uh, and to put that in perspective for uh, folks, the Snake River uh, populations of Chinook or steelhead that, uh, uh, you know, everybody has heard the controversy about the Snake River dams being the problem. They really don't report any different survival. So it's different from what? Serious. Like what? What are their numbers? Uh, sorry, uh, their their survivals are uh, essentially the same, or in fact better than Puget Sound numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. So survival of the, the stocks that your your uh, listeners would be familiar with in Snoqualmie and so on. Yeah, uh, those rivers, no dams, uh, but the survival from the smolts being released from hatcheries until the adults come back. Uh, is essentially the same, or in fact, in Puget Sound, slightly lower. So, you know, one of the, uh, and, you know, for the Fraser River, uh, the Columbia River is the largest river on the west coast of North America. The Fraser right. is the second largest. The survivals, again, are very similar to Snake River uh, populations. Uh, you know, so the joke that I, I, I made when we started to realize this was, gee, if we build eight dams in the Fraser River, we'll boost the survival up to the level of the Snake River. <laughs> well, yeah, that you know? doesn't make sense with the mantra we hear that the dams are the problem in those rivers and, and that's what's killing those fish. Well, if other rivers without dams are having as many or more problems, then that's, that, that's a big indicator that there's likely something else going on. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this has been the focus of my career for uh, the better part of 40 years now, is that uh, there's a lot of problems, uh, There's, you know, and, and the paper's not intended to attack, um, you know, habitat biologists, you know, trying out of the, you know, um, you know with the best of intentions yeah. to, to fix things in fresh water, but it's intended as a warning that we can't assume that it's going to be successful because when we finish digging all this data up, uh, you know, there's been a growing uh, effort by government agencies everywhere to get more and more salmon populations monitored simply because they're not doing well. Uh, and people do know how to monitor the populations, so they've added more and more populations. Um, when we finished compiling the data just for Chinook salmon, it's 2,300 years of survival data. Uh, So it's, you know, a massive amount of data. And what was really very surprising was that even up in southeast Alaska or northern British Columbia, uh, Chinook survival uh, rates, you know, from the young fish going out until the adults come back, uh, really isn't any different to our more southern regions here in Puget Sound, where your listeners are, or British Columbia, or in the Columbia River with the dams. Uh, they're all about one percent, uh, and and, and those were also similarly down from where they were. Say, like you you, you look back to the the mid seventies. Well, you know, the, one of the 
one of the things we can't be sure of for all of these rivers was what the survival was like in the 70s mm. because uh, governments are now monitoring 10 times more populations than they were back in the 70s. Mm. Um, so, you know, for some of the data sets, we just know that survival is bad, uh, you know, because they're right. recent, uh, but we don't know for sure that it was good back in the day. But we're virtually certain that it, it was, uh, you know, in generally because, you know, most people know um, how much more productive salmon populations were, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50 years ago. Um, you know, so that's that's a fine point. But the, you know, the, the key point here and the message that's rather controversial, but I think needs to be uh, widely discussed is, if survival has gone down by this much everywhere, uh, and to this, and and the key point is to the same level, um, we have always assumed that the the reduction in survival was because the animals had, uh, you know, poor habitat during their migration out uh, from fresh water, and that fixing and improving freshwater habitat values will um, necessarily improve survival. And since it's the same up in southeast Alaska. Uh, or in northern British Columbia, essentially, that that implicit assumption isn't necessarily true. It's yeah. a belief that we've had that if we only fix the degradation in habitat that we see down here, uh, you know, where the human populations are high and there's a lot of industry and so on, farming for it, so on, that will get the uh, survival back up. But Alaska is having the same problem. Alaska does, you know, has essentially pristine uh, farms. Uh, sorry, <laughs> pristine rivers in southeast Alaska. There right. aren't, you know, farms on them and so on. Uh, and yet, if the survival is is very similar, uh, then the assumption that by fixing things in fresh water down here. It may be, um, uh, you know, admirable to do it because it, uh, you know, pulling tires out of the river and so on is, yeah. you know, nobody has a problem with that. Uh, but it does raise the question of whether it is going to be effective. People assumed it would, uh, but they didn't realize that the, uh, that survival values being reported up and down the coast were very similar. Yeah, that's crazy. Because, and again, we're talking with Dr. David Welch. Uh, he recently has, and this year uh, is out with a new peer-reviewed uh, report entitled A Synthesis of the Coastwide Decline in Survival of West Coast Chinook Salmon. Uh, and the research was carried out by a team from Kintama Research, if I'm saying that right, Dr. Welch, uh, led by uh, Dr. Welch, and, and you guys, you know, uncovered some fascinating things here. As we started talking, you know, it was comparing va- basically rivers with dams, particularly in the Snake River and those dams that have been so controversial, uh, with rivers, you know, watersheds without dams here on the coast, um, and, but now we're also comparing, you know, the rivers here on the coast with much, much different land use, very, you know, human intensive land use between cities and pavement and development and farming and logging and everything else versus those watersheds up in Alaska, some of which are virtually, like you said, untouched, virtually pristine, Yet all of them, dams, no dams, intensive land use, uh, complete wilderness, they're all seeing basically what you're saying is a, a similar decline. That's right. And, and you know, beyond just the freshwater habitat discussion about, you know, what can be effective or can it be effective, I guess, to be blunt about it, uh, the concern I've had for decades is that 
um, the marine side of salmon uh, is, you know, has always gotten short shrift. People have never really understood how to deal with it. We don't know a lot about what happens. And by marine, uh, you mean that whole part of the salmon life cycle that's out in the ocean? Yeah. So for Chinook, for example, uh, the Chinook, uh, there's, there's two major types of uh, Chinook called the fall and the spring runs, mm-hmm. and they go to sea for uh, two years or three, three to four years. And it's during most of that period when most of the growing goes on and uh, the vast majority of the survival is determined. And 25, 30 years ago, when I was arguing some of these things, my colleagues would say, well, you know, we can't be sure that, you know, the survival problem isn't just as the little fish go down the river to the sea, uh, you know, during that migration. Um, And now we're much more certain that that's not where it is. It really is in the ocean, but we don't understand what's happening in the ocean. And of course, uh, you know, as your readers or or listeners have have probably heard, uh, you know, we've had a, the so-called blob out in the ocean uh, off in the Gulf of Alaska where ocean yeah. temperatures went up by, you know, four or five degrees Fahrenheit and associated in the last um, five years or so. And it's cooled off some now, uh, but it's had very big effects on, on salmon populations. But we don't understand uh, enough to really hmm. know how how all of that's working, but that puts us behind the eight ball in terms of saying if uh, climate change really comes home to roost, if uh, you know the um, the climate continues to warm, you know because of uh, greenhouse gases, what do we do? Uh, well, we don't know. Um, it's a it's a it's a problem in the ocean. Uh, human nature is to sort of fix the things that's right in front of us. So <laughs> we've been working yeah. hard on on freshwater habitat values, and there's um, you know there's merit to do that because cleaning up the rivers is obviously a sensible thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but we're essentially you know sending out the warning that it's not a panacea and it's not necessarily going to work to um, re- reverse these uh, salmon survival declines that we're seeing in the ocean. It sounds to me like the answer is much more all of the above. You know, we need to make sure that our habitat is good and taken care of. And and like I said earlier, the farming community has been more and more engaged in that. Uh, But to really bring salmon back, there there are other answers that have to happen as well. Again, we're talking with Dr. David Welch here on the Farming Show this morning here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. We're talking about salmon. You know, so many of the decisions that happen with farming and the rules around farming as a land use and uh, as, you know, food production and nutrient management and all the things that go into it. Um, obviously, I think everybody here in the community and beyond realizes that a lot of that is um, connected with salmon and the decline that we're seeing in salmon and the endangered status of our Chinook salmon here. Um, for us in the, you know, in the Nooksack River Basin, Skagit River, uh, and and all those rivers south and and of course it's a huge issue in eastern Washington as we talked about earlier with you know dams and should dams be breached and all the things that dams not a lot of people think about dams in terms of hydroelectric uh, power that that is one of the big things that dams do but almost more important is uh, irrigation and flood management uh, and transportation um, and and all of those things affect agriculture 
agriculture very significantly. So this really, this kind of research really has a big bearing on, okay, well, if we need to bring salmon back, I think we're all agreeing we need to restore these endangered populations, but what do we do? To, to make that happen and what is is the right thing and what's worth it so to speak um i don't want to get too much into it because we're coming up on a break here but but maybe just as a teaser of what's ahead here dr welch what are you finding out in the ocean um like you said there's a lot of research that just hasn't been done a lot of stuff that isn't known uh, are you at least seeing some hints of things that may actually be the the, the problem here well, I think so. Uh, one of the interesting ones is that, uh, and it's going to cause, for, you know, some significant um, controversy again mm-hmm. about, you know, clash of values. Is that marine mammals, uh, seals and sea lions and so on, have uh, increased by about a factor of five mm. at the same time that survival has gone down a lot, uh, and that's true uh, coastwide. Uh, and it's really um, not our research, but research that our, a number of my uh, colleagues have done is is really pointing the finger that um, seals and sea lions, you know, uh, since the Marine Mammal Protection Act came into play in the U.S. in the 1970s uh, and similar legislation in Canada, uh, you know, it's it's been illegal to shoot marine mammals or or, or kill them. Um, but the populations have responded by increasing very rapidly. We're going to get into some interesting questions of, you know, how do you how do you deal with two protected species and you know where one eats yeah. the other and yeah. uh, what's what's going to be the priorities? Exactly, uh, that's been an ongoing ba- debate, and we've talked about that before here in the past few years, especially as as new research has come out about uh, the predation issue and and harbor seals in particular in Puget Sound. You know, the the sea lions down in um oh is it the Multnomah um Lamb the Willamette uh Valley uh, have been talked about a lot, and on the and on the Columbia, but uh, there hasn't been a lot of coverage for the the harbor seal problem here in the Puget Sound, which is a huge uh, factor from from this more recent research as well that we can see. But a lot of people uh, struggle with that, and, and you know how, how to manage that problem, what to do. Again, we're talking with Dr. David Welch. Um, he's the author and leader of, of a research piece. Um, looking at the decline in survival of West Coast Chinook salmon. Chinook, those are the endangered ones. Just generally, I know there are a lot of specific species that are uh, listed uh, for us here in the U.S. under the Endangered Species Act. Um, so th- this study is looking at what's really going on here, and it's, it's uncovering some things that may run counter to the the status quo understanding of all this we do need to take a quick time out dr welch stay with us i want to continue to talk about this predation issue i want to talk about harvest um and some some glaring things that you folks found as far as how even things are tabulated stuff like that Uh, i want to ask you you know let's talk more about the dams and this issue of delayed mortality that's a a term a, a uh, an issue that that people talk about a lot when they talk about whether or not to breach these dams and the state 
Snake River, things like that. Uh, so stay with us. We've got a lot more to cover about salmon and what was really going on with them here uh, in, along the West Coast, really. I mean, we're talking about Alaska, I'm sure all the way down to California, um, and, and what that means for our, those of us here farming and living in cities and in the country on, on land here in the Pacific Northwest. Stay with us. Where are the salmon going? The Chinook salmon. Endangered. But why? And, and even with all the work that's been happening, numbers continue to decline. It can be very disheartening for people connected with the huge project of salmon restoration. And the farming community is more and more included in that um, particularly with trying to you know improve streams improve water quality improve water quantity with better efficiencies and use and you know b building you know you know tree planting and building uh, stream restoration projects back channels places for for salmon to lay their eggs all this kind of stuff the farming community is taking this seriously and so more and more the farming community is watching what's going on and and similarly to other communities who also rely on salmon uh, focus on salmon as part of their culture and their background or their livelihood or whatever their connection might be uh, to salmon um, people watch these so closely and feel disheartened when they see these numbers just not coming back. The, the salmon continue to decline. Do we need to redouble our efforts or what's really going on? We've been talking with Dr. David Welch. He's uh, the lead researcher on a new study um, uh, released recently uh, this year called A Synthesis of the Coastwide Decline in Survival of West Coast Chinook Salmon. So to sum up, basically, what is going on? What, what, what's happening to salmon? Where, where are the salmon disappearing to? Why are so few of them surviving to return and spawn, lay their eggs and continue that cycle? Why is it a downward cycle? What can we, get to, what can we do to reverse that? And, and some big hints within the research that Dr. Welch has been doing. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us for the hour this morning, Dr. Welch. Um, you have in, you know, in the first half we talked about, wow, you know, rivers with dams, um, you know, people, you know, the snake river comes to mind. Columbia has dams as well. Similarly, those rivers are seeing, uh, salmon declines like rivers without dams. Um, you know, a lot of the folks who would like to see dams go away and believe that is the big key in their minds to solve this problem. Um, you know, seem to give the impression that, well, that, that's what's killing the salmon, but it's, that certainly wouldn't hold to be true if, you know, rivers without that in their system, without a dam or, or those kinds of things in, in their river system are also seeing these same declines. And then also what about land use? You know, you, you, you talked about rivers up in Alaska where they're basically in these pristine watersheds unmolested by man, uh, and yet they're seeing decline as well. Um, as your research has revealed, we just started before we had to take the, the bottom of the hour break talking about the reasons why. One of the things that you had just started talking about was predation and uh, pre predators out there to the salmon that have multiplied 
in some cases five times, in some cases even more than that, uh, their population numbers. So the assumption there is maybe part of the recipe is these animals are just eating the salmon, and then if they're protected and salmon are protected and endangered, how do you choose who survives and, and what happens next? I, how are people supposed to grapple with that issue? Well, there's, uh, there's, there's two parts to that, uh, Dylan. One is the moral uh, issue of what's appropriate to do or not appropriate to do in terms of predator control. And, uh, you know, that's, to my mind, is a, uh, an issue that biologists cannot answer uh, for the public. It's, it's the public's decision about, uh, you know, what, uh, what is uh, um, permissible or acceptable. And, uh, you know, I, I can't give any particular guidance on that. Um, but, you know, part of the, the comment about the biology of these animals is that basically everything, including humans, likes to eat salmon. Hmm. Um, so it's not too surprising, and, and I do tend to remind people that, you know, predators will eat salmon because they'll eat uh, what's available. And, um, you know, um, we've got an issue with uh, salmon being very important, and, you know, in many cases under legal protections, uh, that means that we we not just have a moral obligation to, to conserve resources, but we have a legal obligation to make sure that happens. You know, my particular interest is in uh, a bit different than some of my colleagues is in terms of I think that most of the problems are, uh, or many of the problems, and, and perhaps most, are in the ocean. And mm. this paper makes that uh, contribution towards that discussion um, scientifically because if uh, these various uh, government organizations that have been monitoring uh, salmon survival are all reporting about the same values, um, for survival, then really it's it's hard to argue that specific things. Uh, fish farms in British Columbia are a big controversy. Right uh, here as well. Habitat habitat issues in in on the freshwater side. Um, you know, people are trying, uh, you know, with the best of intentions to improve things, but a lot of the time what they're doing is saying, uh, I think that if we change the freshwater habitat in this way towards something that looks more pristine or more natural, that will, that will uh, improve survival. And it may be that what it's doing is it's making things look better to us humans, but it may not be changing survival very much. Um, and, you know, the, the analogy that I sometimes make is, uh, look, you know, if you went into the doctor with your um, child and um, the doctor says, uh, you know, after examination, uh, look, you know, I've got some bad news. Your, um, your son has got uh, liver cancer. Mm. And uh, we don't understand enough about liver cancer to know what caused it or how to treat it. Uh, but I'm a specialist on lungs, uh, and I propose that we go to town on on boosting lung capacity, uh, you know, because everybody needs lungs to live. Uh, you know, you'd be leaving pretty quickly to get a second opinion because you need <laughs> everybody does need a pair of lungs. Yeah. Uh, but we also need to deal with the you know the problems with the different organ in this case, you know, liver cancer. Right. It doesn't there, mean there, that it doesn't I, mean I, that it's not that. true that you need lung capacity, but it's yeah, not the issue I, in play. Yeah, and I, I raise this analogy. Um, sometimes some of my colleagues get annoyed with me when I do, but it's similar with salmon work. People say, "Well, you know, salmon need fresh. You know, everybody needs freshwater. Uh, salmon need freshwater habitat if they're to sur survive." And sure, just like we need lungs, we need to survive. But 
we need our whole body uh, functional. Uh, we shouldn't be ignoring the liver cancer uh, and focusing on you know lung capacity when when yeah. a major issue is somewhere else. Um, that's not to disrespect people that work on freshwater habitat, um, but it's a warning signal to to uh, all of us in this paper that um, it's not enough to to try your best on one thing. We we do need to focus on. Uh, identifying really what's going on. Uh, you know, for example, we think that predation is now uh, a big role, and the last five or ten years of work has really started to, you know, identify that it, it really does seem to be uh, significant. How significant? Uh, what are we going to do about it? Um, you know, if, if marine mammals are protected, then by law it's not possible to do anything. Uh, are there other things that we could do at sea? Are there things that we need to take into account? Um, you know, uh, it may be completely improper to lift uh, protection on marine mammals, for example, if most of the salmon survival problem is really due to, say, increases in temperature that are reducing food. Uh, you know, in that case, um, you know, uh, taking out um, marine mammals um, might be um, satisfactory in the short term, but it's not mm-hmm. really getting at the at the at the broader issues. And and I think from a scientific perspective, we need to really have a better understanding of what's happening in the ocean to salmon, so that we can have those conversations and uh, you know debate how uh, you know what's the limits of our ability to deal with this. Yeah, I have a very great concern that um, if the global warming models come, uh, the predictions from them come to pass. Uh, that we will not be able to save salmon. Mm. Uh, most of my colleagues don't like me when I say uh, don't like me to say that because you know they see that as defeatist. Um, but I think that you know it's it's a realistic uh, issue that we need to discuss. Is if survival in the ocean gets bad enough, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. And I'm not sure that it's the best public policy is going to be to just do even more of what we're already doing. Dr. David Welch is with us right now here on The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI News Talk 790. Another issue, Dr. Welch, that we haven't talked about yet is harvest. Harvest has really been uh, omitted from from some of the things that people are looking at as far as what the real issue is here. Yes, so the the surprise here, uh, including to me, uh, I mean, this is specific to the Columbia River. There's two ways to uh, measure survival. One is, um, if some of your um, folks listening are, are fishermen, they'll, they, they'll be aware of coated wire tags, which are tiny little um, magnetic um, particles that are put in the nose of the baby salmon uh, at the hatcheries, and uh, they are released. And when those fish get, and, and that's happened since the 60s and uh, late 60s and early 70s, and when those uh, fish are caught by uh, sport fishermen or commercial fishermen and, and monitored uh, in the head, they can still recover uh, in the nose, essentially. Uh, they can recover that coded wire tag and read which hatcher it was from. Mm. And so there's a little code in there. Um, so that's the predominant methodology that's used up and down the coast. Um, there are um, methods uh, for surveying surveying for that from sport fishermen and from commercial uh, uh, processors. Uh, the, the surprise that happened during this um, work that we were doing uh, was that when you know, one of the criticisms we had on, on an earlier version of the paper is, well, the pit tag uh, in, in the Columbia River, there's a second method of uh, tracking survival using pit tags. Uh, and these are little RFID chips 
Uh, same thing that are used uh, for uh, putting a ch- microchip into a pedigree dog or cat, so you can um, identify uh, identify those uh, animals right. individually. Um, but when we were working through some of the issues that were brought up about uh, whether the data was comparable in terms of survival, you know, survival is pretty easily measured in principle. You uh, know the number of animals that are released that are migrating down for hatcheries or for wild uh, stocks up in Alaska. They they do a census of how many wild young salmon are migrating down the river, and then you divide that number into the number of uh, adults that come back. Uh, now, down in the Columbia, uh, this pit tag system is, is really the gold standard. It, because of the dams, uh, you can identify 100% of the animals that come back as adults. So that's great. But to our uh, big surprise when we were looking at more deeply at this and how similar the results were, uh, we discovered that the commercial catch and the, and the sport fish catch is not routinely monitored for mm. these pit tags. Uh, and so the harvest turns out to be quite large and variable. So it means there's there's a big component of what goes back into the Columbia River that's not being captured mm. at dams. It's always been interpreted what came back to the dams was the survival. But in fact, uh, government fish managers in both the U.S. and Canada uh, are obligated under the Pacific Salmon Treaty to manage the fisheries so that when Chinook are more abundant in the coastal waters, they let fishermen fish harder so they can catch more, which makes right. sense. Uh, when in, in poor survival years, um, they, uh, are, they cut back the fisheries to you know, allow enough fish to escape back to the rivers. Well, the problem was the folks uh, in the Columbia didn't realize that the harvests were large and variable. They thought they were small. Uh, and we found in a in one of the databases that in fact uh, for a number quite a number of important Columbia River stocks, the uh, the, the harvest values are bouncing around a lot. And so, uh, what people had thought in the Columbia River was the gold standard, which was the, this pit tag system. Um, is, is it's not actually measuring survival; it's measuring what escapes from the fisheries. Uh, and it's too early at this point to to really be sure how well um, people can go back and try to figure out yeah. what the harvest is. So ultimately, we don't know as much as we thought, and, and then the survival numbers may not be as bad in, in those cases as, as Well, that's, it, that's been very said. definitely the case. In the, in the late 2000s up until I think the, the data is sort of uh, finished for us about 2014 in terms of what was available, uh, there were big increases in harvest for all of the Columbia River or Snake River stocks that we um, had uh, data for. And that's because ocean conditions had improved. Hmm. Now, the harvest will probably have gone down quite a lot in the more recent years because we had this, uh, you know, the so-called blob yeah. of hot water out there. Uh, we think that that has reduced survival uh, for salmon quite a lot. Um, and so it's likely that when the data finally comes out of the government data systems in this process, that we'll see that harvests have dropped off again because the manager, the fisheries managers are compensating, uh, you know, for the reduced abundance by cutting back on the harvest right. uh, that the fisheries are allowed. Right. But, you know, the, 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 the reason this is important in the Columbia uh, is because this data, you know, gen- uh, genuinely people thought that it was the gold standard for a very good system. Uh, you know, it was able to be uh, implemented simply because the dams were there and that allowed right. us to monitor all the fish that came back in. 
Um, but the other side of it is uh, people just had not realized uh, that it was not measuring the survival. It was what was measuring that survived the fishery as well. Right. And because the fisheries right. are quite dynamic, um, it, it's not clear at this point uh, how well uh, a lot of the analyses that have been done in the past uh, can, can be relied on. Just a minute or two left here with Dr. David Welch here on the farming program. We're talking salmon this morning and what's really going on with salmon. Uh, those of us in the farming community want to know, okay, what's going on? What can we do to help? What's beyond our control? Um, this last issue, just in the last couple of minutes, delayed mortality. You know, that's an idea or an issue that's been raised with the dams. And, you know, of course, the dams are such a big issue for farming in eastern Washington. As we've talked about earlier, one of the, the things that have been put out there is, well, you know, fish, even if they make it through this system of dams, um, are possibly harmed or injured, and it's because of that uh, harm that happens in the river system that they don't survive out in the ocean. What did you find along those lines? Yes, well, you're right, Dylan. The uh, the basic argument is that the uh, salmon are uh, some of them are damaged but survive and go down the river, but may die in the ocean. Uh, and what we found was, I guess, uh, two things that was really striking. The the basis for arguing for delayed mortality was because there are two river systems in the uh, mid-Columbia, the Yakima and the John Day River, that have much higher survival by the time the adults come back than the Snake River uh, stocks do. Um, but what what we found was several counterexamples. Uh, in British Columbia, for example, the Chilliwack uh, hatchery in the lower Fraser River has 10 times higher survival uh, than any of the other uh, Fraser River or, or Strait of Georgia stocks. There's no difference in the number of dams that uh, they go mm. through. So, um, you know, there's a counterexample where you can have high survival, but it doesn't have to be necessarily because the dams, uh, the number of dams uh, is causing delayed mortality. Uh, and then more specifically, we pointed out that uh, there, there was quite a lot of data uh, for other populations than the Yakima and the John Day, where the survival was the same as the Snake River, even though there were lots of differences in the number of dams that the fish went through. So, yes, uh, the Yakima and John Day always have higher survival, but there are other populations that don't go through the Snake River dams that don't have survival any different than the than the Snake River. Well, that definitely changes things. If if delayed mortality isn't actually a thing, that really changes a lot um, for how we understand and view these dams and the policies based on those understandings. Yeah, uh, because uh, really the survival through uh, the eight dams the Snake River fish go through uh, from the top dam called Lower Granite to Bonneville Dam at the bottom, uh, they go through eight dams. But survival on average is about 52% for the smolts. That means that uh, even if you could wave a magic wand and remove all sources of mortality, you could only double adult returns, Mm. unless delayed mortality really is a thing uh, and an important thing that causes a lot of the ocean survival to be actually caused by the dams. Uh, we don't think it is. Um, you know, there's going to be a spirited debate about this amongst the believers and the agnostics about this particular um, yeah. view. And um, But, you know, the contribution we've made here is to point out that there are quite a number of um, data sets available that haven't been looked at 
uh, that don't support the argument about delayed mortality. There Not, are clearly uh, some populations that do have higher survival, but we also see them in areas outside the Columbia where there are no dams, and yet there are persistent hmm. differences in productivity. One of the things I'd like to see really um, addressed, which never has been, is why do a few populations really do have uh, so much higher survival? Uh, if we could figure that out, maybe we could yeah. figure out how to how to apply those uh, <laughs> rules to yeah. uh, other populations that aren't doing so well. Dr. David Welch, CEO of Contama Research, uh, based in BC. He's right across the water from us over in Nanaimo. Thank you for joining us and, and sharing from this uh, new research that you've released. Uh, it, it's titled A Synthesis on the Coastwide Decline and Survival of West Coast Chinook Salmon. Well, isn't that something that so many political issues, social issues, things are, uh, that are talked about around that issue uh, in our region all the time? Well, what is really going on with this? And like you said, this is a, a new piece of research that, that takes our understanding of this situation further down the road. We thank you for that and uh, for taking the time to, to share some of that with us this morning. My pleasure. Nice to be here.